You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Greetings and welcome to Domecast, the News and Observer and NC Insider Politics Podcast. I'm Don Vaughn here with Julian Shenbarrow, Colin Campbell, and Will Doran. So this week we had some um, guests in the state. We have President Trump and Vice President Pence came on official visits, but um, in case anyone hadn't heard, there's an election coming up. So why did they come to North Carolina? Um, why do people care about North Carolina this year? So that's what we're going to talk about. Will, you were on the scene at part of Pence's visit, although they didn't let you um, in the building since it was only only pool. So what was uh, what was the crowd like there? Was it just more campaigning or official visiting? Yeah, so we had, um, you know, President Trump came on Monday, toured a, a lab in RTP that's working on a potential vaccine for COVID-19. And then uh, Vice President Pence came Wednesday, also did a little RTP tour. Um, but really the main reason he was here was to come to Apex, to Thales Academy, which is a private school. Um, it has several locations around the, the county, but the main one's in Apex. Um, and it was funded by were founded by a, a big time Republican donor here named Bob Luddy. Uh, he started the school and they are, uh, you know, full steam ahead with reopening this fall. And so uh, Vice President Pence and Education Secretary Betsy DeVos uh, both came down to basically tout Thales as a model for the entire country, um, saying, you know, look, you know, requiring online school for students is not great for learning and it's just a real drag on families where both parents have to work um because then you know parents are that as you know don uh (laughs) having to try to balance you know uh doing their job with helping you know monitor the online school and you know help with those assignments especially for the younger kids um who you know maybe aren't as proficient with you know, laptops and all of that. Um, so they were here to hold up Thales as, as, a, as a good example of what the whole country should be doing in the face of coronavirus. They are not really in favor of the approach that North Carolina has taken for public schools um, with, you know, allowing uh, potentially all online classes or, and then, you know, mandating at least some online classes. Um, also uh, here stumping for school choice, uh, which is big in uh, Republican circles, uh, you know, more vouchers for private schools like Thales, uh, more charter schools, things like that. Um, we actually just saw a new lawsuit uh, last week against the voucher program. Um, it was the voucher program won a big lawsuit back in, I think it was 2015 here in North Carolina that said it was constitutional. Um, but that was a complete party line vote at the state Supreme Court. At the time, the court had four Republicans and three Democrats, and they split four to three on that question. The court now has six Democrats and one Republican, so they are suing again, uh, hoping for a better outcome. So, you know, just (laughs) everything is just layers on layers on layers uh, in state politics here. But, uh, yeah, so that's that's what we saw with uh, Vice President Pence. And the other thing with Thales and how it compares to when, um, you know, public schools open in person is that immediately there's a case of coronavirus. So it wasn't this actual school that uh, that Pence went to, um, but it was one of like the other locations is now, I guess, closed because it hasn't been two weeks yet that um, 
their quarantine time or it was a, a visiting staff member that had it so i think they reopened like the day after the story i read said they basically shut down for a day or two to clean the place and then they reopened even though it hadn't been two weeks so or the people we'll see if we hear were, anything more about cases there yeah maybe the people that were immediately in contact with that person maybe that's what it was and they were you know they had the the two weeks um although the cdc changed it to 10 days now right instead of 14 um as far as staying away so but, but I think that, I mean, and Mandy Cohen at the pressers has said, you know, along those lines of what happened to Thales, that it, it's, it's probably going to be the adults, I think. I mean, she didn't say it would be the adults, but as far as like the who actually are the spreaders and it's not little kids, it's, you know, potentially the, the teachers that are in contact with each other. Um, and then, of course, you know, there's the factor with the children and then what happens to kids who... Um, potentially like really worst case scenario if they if they get it even if it's a real slim chance so um i saw that you know devos didn't say anything that i saw like in the classroom she talked at the um, panel they had with the thales and and uh, letty's other school staff but um she really didn't i mean she didn't say much to the kids i guess um it was just intense and it, i thought it was kind of your typical visit to a elementary classroom, like, hi, I'm the vice president, this is what I do, and um, the kind of questions that the that the kids ask and everything. He did he did make the kids applaud Trump at the beginning, which I thought was interesting, where he said something about, I flew here on Air Force Two, and talked us on Air Force One, Trump, let's all clap for Trump. So, um, and then the rest of the time, I guess he talked about himself, but that was, that was what he led with. So, when you can't really do campaign events, this is one way to do that. But I mean, don't you guys think the the idea of finding a vaccine and reopening schools are probably like some of the two biggest issues in America right now, I'd say, as far as relating to coronavirus? Yeah, Don, I, I think you hit the subtext right on the head there. You know, the the no politicians right now can really do these big rallies, the campaign events uh, that Trump has really just enjoyed doing for his entire presidency. Um, and so you're seeing events like this that are, you know, it, it is for an official visit purpose, but, you know, very obviously targeted to key battleground swing state like North Carolina. Um, and, you know, both of these visits, you know, it's kind of weird having, uh, well, one, the vice president visited all, you know, I, I can't remember the last time, you know, North Carolina really got like a, you know, a visit from a sitting vice president, um, but you know, and also the president. I mean, you know, having them back to back like that, uh, two visits in three days. Um, you know, I think probably a lot of it is they're seeing the poll numbers that are coming out, and seeing, you know, that basically every single poll is showing Joe Biden uh, leading in North Carolina, showing Cal Cunningham leading Tom Tillis, uh, showing Roy Cooper leading Dan Forrest in the governor's race. Um, and so, you know, I think part of this is to try to turn that around and, you know, right the ship for Republicans here uh, in the Tar Heel State and, you know, kind of rally the troops a little bit. And you definitely saw that at Thales. Um, there were probably 200 or so protesters out there, and it was about evenly split, I'd say, between pro and anti-Trump uh, groups, although I think the pro-Trump was probably a little bit bigger, um, not, you know, massively bigger on either side, but, but I think they probably did have more people. Um, and, you know, it was a lot of people, you know, out there waving 
Trump flags and wearing their MAGA hats. And, you know, it, you know, among that crowd, it really had kind of a, a rally feel, even though obviously this is not an official rally and Vice President Pence didn't, you know, stop at all to speak with them, just kind of drove by in the motorcade. Um, but, you know, it, it, it had that kind of rally feel outside of the school where, where people were gathered uh, on one side to cheer him on and the other side to jeer him and, uh, you know, express their discontent that he was here. I was trying to think of the last time they were here. And it was, well, I mean, I know because um, I'd gone to cover the Trump rally in Fayetteville, I guess, last fall, I want to say, um, or almost a year ago now. And Pence was there for that. But um, I can't think of something else. My guess is, you know, I'm sure there, I mean, the things that we don't see were the Republicans in North Carolina that are asking them to come and, and maybe Pence saw, um, you know, if, if it was deemed a success of, of Trump's visit that, you know, he thought he would go to and try to keep any sort of momentum on attention. The one thing I did notice, though, is that with Trump's visit, he had um, more state politicians come, uh, more came, Dan Forrest was there. And I was actually surprised that Forrest didn't come to Pence's um, event because, I mean, one of Forrest's things is school choice, and, and that would have been right up the alley there. But, um, you know, we don't always see, you know, who who decides which um, which politicians they want to join them at these events or not, or ask them to come or not, you know. Um, so that's, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is there as far as why um, why that didn't happen. But yeah, one of those polls had Cooper way, way up over Forrest, where other polls have had it, you know, much closer. Um, and then, of course, Tillis and Cunningham were concerned about their polls, and Tillis um, came to Trump's event, although didn't fly here with them. Right? What did you guys think, Julian Kong? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting, especially when you look at where Pence was right before. You know, while Trump was here on Monday, Pence was in Florida looking at a vaccine, a trial being done for a different vaccine. And so there's a lot of attention being given, clearly, even just when you look at this week alone to these states that are expected to be swing states, that are expected to be battleground states come the election. Um, and, you know, especially when we're talking about Tillis and Cunningham, um, I think the Senate's also a big reason why North Carolina is going to be getting a lot of attention and has been getting a lot of attention from national uh, politicians like Trump and Pence. Um, you know, it, it is one of those races that's expected to be one of the ones that Democrats can flip in the, in the fall, potentially, and can kind of be one of the avenues for them to regain control of the Senate. Um, and I, I believe, although I haven't looked at the polling numbers recently, that Cunningham and Tillis, that race is going to be maybe the most competitive of the four that have been kind of pegged as these are the races we can potentially flip. So, you know, I, I think that's definitely, uh, you know, maybe a, a secondary reason for them coming, but definitely a big reason as well is to consider how do we hold on to the Senate come November. So speaking of the Senate, I was doing some research on the legislature website today looking for something else and found like the 2001 document of like Senate birthdays. And so Cal Cunningham, who was in the Senate at the time, and Berger, um, you know, served at the same time. Of course, Berger's still around, as everyone knows. Um, and both of them, their birthdays are like within two days of each other. Next week, actually, maybe when you guys are listening to this. So, and my birthday also is coming up. So I thought it was funny that uh, the number of Leos that are interested in politics. Don, are you planning a big birthday bash with Phil Berger and Cal Cunningham together? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> the theme is the fourth estate. <laughs> yeah. So they don't. Yeah, I'll give you gifts of interviews <laughs> and interesting scoops about their uh, political activities this year. 
Yes, yes, I'm sure none, none of us could find a better way to spend our time than, than doing that. <laughs> so well, what's interesting is going to be how Biden handles the whole campaigning issue because uh, Pence and Trump, as official officials, uh, can come down and do official things like check on those vaccines in development, see how the school reopening is doing. Biden is not in a official position right now. So if he goes anywhere, it's a campaign event. His only title right now is candidate for president. He is obviously no longer the vice president. Right. Um, so, and of former, course, Democrats are trying to be more social distanced about their approach to campaigning. They're not doing rallies. They're not doing big events. This is where I think being a former vice president comes in handy for him, right? Where if he was, say, like Warren, who wasn't as known, um, you know, in North Carolina anyway, directly, um, and others that were running, you know, that they come and give the big speeches and get the messages out. You know, like during the primary, everyone was so excited to hear what Warren had to say and covering two Biden campaign events. You know, people were like, oh, it's Biden, like we know him. So his advantage now might be the fact that everybody already remembers who he is. You know, it's like whether you still like him or not and how much does he need to show up or or what is he going to say? Like, what kind of gaffe is he going to make? You know, or that sort of... Yeah, it's, it's certainly like easier campaigning for him not to have big rallies and events um, and to focus more on the, the sorts of campaigning that are more uh, common for Democrats of doing stuff than digital advertising and TV ads. I just, for fun, um, I, don't, I haven't seen like aggregate numbers for North Carolina and like ad spending uh, for the presidential races. So just as a fun sample that I could pull up while we're talking, I pulled up the latest... Um, contract that each of the campaigns have with WRAL TV here in Raleigh. Um, and both for about a week's worth of advertising, both Trump and Biden's campaigns are each spending almost exactly $27,000 over the course of a week with uh, WRAL. And um, it's always fun to see what random shows that they're airing their ads on. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously they'll run, uh, run it on uh, news shows, but uh, Trump has decided to advertise on Days of Our Lives and Dr. <laughs> Phil, among other shows. Uh, when I pull up Biden's forum, he is also a fan of Dr. Phil advertising, uh, but has a lot on the local news, a lot on the Today Show. Um, I don't see any soap operas, but he does have the Kelly Clarkson show listed as his um, uh, advertising uh, place for it to run. Uh, so, you know, I guess everyone's trying to target different demographics with where their, their TV ads go on, on a local TV station. But like daytime TV, like how many people is that? I guess I didn't know Dr. Phil was even still a show. <laughs> I didn't know Kelly Clarkson had a show. So it shows how much oh, TV yeah. I'm watching. Yeah. It's been on for like a hundred years. So. Yeah. I was going to say anecdotally, whether I'd seen TV ads or not, and then I remember I don't actually see TV at all. So they could be blanketing the local airwaves with ads or running none at all. And I wouldn't know. I feel like I've seen maybe some Trump ads like on the news. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I assume also that it's cheaper to buy daytime TV spots. You know, like news is probably most expensive, I would think, or it depends. I'm sure they're a lot cheaper than they used to be, like before when all everyone's choices were, you know, was just regular network TV and that was it, you know. We're all such millennials with our cord cutting habits. Um, uh, yeah, I, I also don't have cable, but on, you know, Hulu, you get ads too, and I've seen some in the the Tillis Cunningham race, but I don't, I don't know that I've seen any ads in the presidential race yet on on my streaming services. It's it's just been the Senate race for me so far. Well, Generation X here, like with my cable, but also I have multiple streaming services. I spent a lot of money on television, basically. 
<laughs> or screen platforms, you know. I can't I can't end it because I still like the idea of being able to flip around and you know, even though I have like a huge things on my Netflix Netflix list and um spent a lot of time on Disney Plus, like I just I can't get plus sports, you know, like that's that's the big thing. So I don't know if you guys have watched the NBA yet, but that's very exciting as far as like the aspects of life turning back to normal. And I think they're an example of what what you can do, like the NBA bubble anyway, as far as with testing and control, which has so far failed with baseball. But it's um, it's something that you really can't do with school, you know, unless it becomes boarding school or jobs or anything else. So that's like a, a super unique uh, situation. Of course, they've just got like, loads and loads of money to do it too, an incentive of loads and loads of money to do it, right? Yeah, well, I don't think it's any accident that uh, Vice President Pence picked Thales Academy for this. I mean, there's mm -hmm. plenty of private schools around North Carolina that are opening up in person, you know, but he was at the one that is, you know, run by a major, major GOP donor. I mean, you know, we're talking somebody who spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in the 2016 election. Um, and, you know, has been very active in other elections, too. I think at one point was, uh, I think he might have been at one point the biggest Republican donor in North Carolina um, before Greg Lindbergh came around a few years ago. Um, you know, and yeah, I mean, you know, like Colin was saying, you know, $27,000 for one week at one TV station in one of the media markets in North Carolina. I mean, you know, this, you know, we have months to go. <laughs> this is going to be you know, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars uh, spent on advertising in, in multiple different races here. I mean, it's going to be just insanely expensive. And the official visits are a way to get on on the news, right? You know, and to without having and get your message out in very specific ways. So, you know, instead of an ad talking about what they want for schools, they have seen what, you know, that Pence was here. Um, and then same with Pence and Trump and the vaccine. So like there's more, you know, with, um, you know, local news that, that they came through and, you know, when, when Pence was in Florida, Miami, I think, right. And, um, and the same thing and, and highlighting that. But I mean, they're right that these are things people are wondering about, like, where are we on vaccines now? When is this coming out? Um, and then of course, school, you know, for parents and students is on, is on everyone's mind there. I thought it was interesting about Pence. I mean, he is the government and going to not a government school, you know, a taxpayer funded school, although of course they can use vouchers, um, but that's not national. It'd be hard um, to find one in North Carolina that's public and uh, opening up at least at the, the very start of August. Um, yeah, it was I think most of them are all online for a little while at least. Right. Well, one of the kids asked him where he went to school and he mentioned that he went to a combination, which I thought was a good answer. You know, and explaining like the like his varied own background, where he said he went to um, Catholic school for K eight, and then went to a public high school, and was like, you know, like you guys might. So, um, kind of the assumption there that they might go to you know public high school, or that there's the mix of this. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting as far as, and, and it shows them in a different way, um, I think, than than when you're giving speeches to your base, you know, um, as far as how they talk to people not necessarily knowing if they actually like them or not. Um, and of course that's Pence, not not Trump as far as when, when Pence came and, and met with people, even though obviously it was a friendly crowd. He said he'd known Letty for years, you know, and had thanked him for 
for coming. So we'll just what you were saying about, you know, people are well aware of who their longtime donors are, you know, I think. Well, what, let's talk about the, the General Assembly, though, and that, I mean, I know that outside North Carolina, they're looking at us for like, you know, Cunningham and Phyllis, and of course, how we'll vote for president. But I mean, just looking nationally at how different state legislatures are and how they could flip, it's probably not going to flip um, in North Carolina. I know, like, Will, you've looked more at that. I mean, as far as like how the seats will turn, it could get closer. Um, I don't think that Republicans would go back to getting a supermajority. I don't think. What do you What do you think the chances are of what the Democrats are pushing for? There, there's a couple different scenarios you could see. Um, probably a lot of it depending on how Trump and Joe Biden do in North Carolina this fall. I mean, that's obviously going to have a lot of you know effects down the ballot, not only for the Senate and the governor's race, but even for you know the the General Assembly control. Um, after they redrew the maps because of the lawsuit late last year, it did get a little bit more friendly to Democrats. Um, however, it's still the, the maps still do lean Republican. Um, part of that is because, you know, we have rules in North Carolina about, you know, like with the districts of the General Assembly, you have to keep counties whole as much as possible. And, you know, since there are a lot of, you know, Republican counties that are maybe kind of small population and then, you know, a smaller number of Democratic leading counties that have much larger populations, you know, that kind of does help Republicans. Um, I, I think the math is that, you know, Democrats would have to get probably, you know, 55 to 60 percent of the statewide vote to get 50 percent of the seats at the legislature. And, you know, obviously that depends on, you know, where the votes are, which districts, et cetera. But, you know, that that's kind of the general uh, feeling is that, you know, if if Biden ends up winning here in in North Carolina by, you know, five, ten points, then, you know, Democrats could could uh, see themselves taking back control of the legislature. There could also be a crazy scenario um, in which the Senate could be tied, basically looking at just like the the seats in the Senate that are and aren't going to be competitive, you could see a 25 to 25 tie in the 50 member Senate. And then the Lieutenant governor would get to break the ties. Um, Lieutenant governor in North Carolina has basically no real power, no real duty. Um, but <laughs> if there was a tie, then that person could suddenly become, you know, maybe one of the most powerful people in the entire state, you know, go from kind of a, a really overlooked office um, to, you know, really keyed in on big debates and really getting to personally decide, you know, how how different policies go in North Carolina. That would that would be fascinating. Yeah, and uh, I've, talked, I've talked to some Democrats who say that's why you're seeing the Democratic Party put a lot of resources into Representative Yvonne Hawley's campaign in ways that they might not another year. I mean, particularly now that you're looking at polling that shows Cooper way up over Dan Forrest and Cooper raising a ton of money. Um, if they feel like they've got a lock on that race, then the next council of state race that they really want to focus on for the, exactly the reasons you said, Will, is lieutenant governor, which is not something that, you know, they would have cared that much about in the past. But because there is a completely plausible scenario that a good year for Dems in the Senate means 25 to 25, and they have to have that tiebreaker on every contentious party line vote. I mean, that, that would be a huge problem for them if they had a tie in a Republican LG. I think that's what like Terry Van Dyne, when she was deciding whether or not 
um, to have the runoff with with Holly because they were so close. Um, and of course, Van Dyne is a senator now, and um, thinking like, you know, could you if you is it worth trying to beat Holly just within your party for this? And you know how if the tie if you can that you can get it versus you know Mark Robinson, but. Um, the interesting thing I think about the lieutenant governor's race is we'll have our first African American lieutenant governor, no matter what, you know, between Holly and and Robinson. But there, of course, Holly is from um, the house, so she's well versed at the building. Robinson is not, um, so he'll he actually will be pretty interesting to cover uh, a few wins just just on the side of um, you know not not having the background in this. Um, and of course, our current lieutenant governor Forrest. Um, didn't you know come to the Senate as much as, as he certainly allowed to or expected to? Um, and I, when I first moved to the beat, and it was always Berger presiding, and I just assumed that's how it was. You know that that Forrest would never show up, but he does sometimes. And um, who knows what sort of behind the scenes we don't see as far as how they sort out who who wants to stand up there or not. You know, I imagine that Berger like standing up there. It was weird seeing him in a seat. You know, like a couple times when Forrest was there. So like like the few times that Moral like have something to say from the floor and it's like what are you doing that's not your assignment so anyway yeah yeah it'll also be funny if, if you do have a Democratic lieutenant governor and then the Republicans do keep their majority because then you have all these sort of points of order issues and you know Yvonne Holly could brush up on Robert's rules of order and the the rules of the the Senate and essentially rule Philberger out of order you know if he's talking at certain points it, it could get really interesting on the really heated debates in there if you've got a different party presiding than the um person who's actually in charge yeah i mean we we know they hold grudges so it'll be um it'll be something something to see in the next session like and then so many of them are dropping like flies and joining these appointments you know to other things so it'll look different like even if everybody was like you know that running for re-election won and everything since since so many people are now um are now bowing out right and shout out to all the domecast listeners who love parliamentary procedure as much as we do oh uh, yeah <laughs> if you listen to this podcast you have to be at least a nerd a little bit of nerdy in that direction further discussion further debate <laughs> if Moore's not speaker, whoever is speaker next needs to get like that cadence down because that is just like my favorite moment about sessions. The way he says that, so just to just to make this uh, dome cast that much nerdier, like further discussion, further debate. Uh, speaking of dome cast, our last week's uh, winner, let's see, our headliner was not me. Wah, wah. Um, so we'll take a break and be back with Headliner of the Week. We'll tell you who won last time and then uh, give you our new headliners. And we're back with uh, the last segment of Domecast, everybody's favorite segment, Headliner of the Week, uh, looking at last week's results. Um, the winner of last week's uh, was uh, the whoever had put UNC Wilmington professor Mike Adams, who passed away recently, obviously a controversial uh, person, and learned uh, from the police uh, his last week that he died by suicide. Uh, that was the most popular choice in sort of a weird, uh, morbid way, I guess. Um, followed up by the bar exam controversy uh, and uh, the Black Lives Matter protester who was kicked off a jury. And last place was Dawn with tourists following the three W's. Apparently, we don't support the three W's on the headliner poll. Um, all right, so we, there are only four of us this week, so I guess all four of us get to uh, nominate it, and the, the winner doesn't have to sit out. Um, so, uh, Will, if you want to start off? 
Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Hurricane Isaias. Uh, as we're recording this uh, Friday afternoon, it's kind of on, on that border between tropical storm and hurricane, but it is expected to be a hurricane by the time it hits North Carolina on Monday or Tuesday. Um, and, uh, you know, all of a sudden we're going to shift from, you know, one emergency situation with COVID to another emergency situation, hopefully not too bad of one, uh, with the hurricane, but, you know, just, you know, send thoughts out to everybody on the coast, hope everyone's safe and getting prepared, has all their supplies. Um, and let's hope that this hurricane season is not as crazy as some past election year hurricane seasons have been. All right, Don, what's your headliner? So mine is the blessed return of sports on television um, with Major League Baseball and the NBA and how one night this week, I'm like, do I want to watch baseball or do I want to watch basketball? I can't believe I have this choice. I'm so excited. So the return of professional basketball and baseball, that's my headliner of the week. And I noticed even though minor leagues canceled, some of the collegiate leagues in North Carolina are still playing and like live streaming their baseball games. I even saw one, I think was, I want to say it was in Thomasville, where a limited number of people could buy tickets to park their cars outside the fence and like watch the game through the fence at a social distance. So uh, it's just a weird way to bring sports back, but at least it's something. Do what you got to do, you know. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Julian. Yeah, so in, in keeping with theme of discussing national politics, I'm going to go with um, Trump this week kind of floating the idea of pushing back the election, which obviously he doesn't have the power to do. That power lies in Congress. Um, and then the kind of swift rebuke from uh, both Tillis and Cooper and some other uh, you know politicians. So you, you saw even people within Trump's own party say, like, no, we're not going to move back the election. Um, and so seeing Tillis and, and Cooper agree on that, um, I'll go with that. All right. And my pick this week, I'm going with the new Board of Transportation members who uh, are all potentially uh, former legislators or legislators. Uh, If you'll recall uh, from a month or so back, uh, the overhaul of the Department of Transportation's governing board based off of some overspending issues, the legislature uh, passed a bill that took away some of the governor's appointments to that board. Previously, the governor had been able to appoint every member of the state board of transportation. Now he appoints the majority, uh, but both the House Speaker and the Senate leader get a couple of appointments. And Senate leader Phil Berger announced uh, this week uh, that he's going with uh, two recently resigned uh, senators uh, who were in fairly powerful roles in the Senate, uh, Jerry Tillman and Andy Wells. Um, both of whom have uh, sort of had, Tillman was a surprise resignation. He'd been running for reelection. Andy Wells had lost a bid for a lieutenant governor um, and was not going to have another term in the Senate, but both of them decided to peace out a little early. And uh, we found out uh, perhaps the reason why was that they were going to get to go on the board of transportation. Uh, the house has not named its appointments yet, but uh, apparently uh, state rep Chuck McGrady, who's pretty well known, one of the budget writers uh, has been in talks with uh, house speaker, Tim Moore, and has voiced his interest in it. Apparently McGrady was on the same board in Georgia way back in the day. So already has that experience. So uh, we could see a very legislator heavy uh, board of transportation uh, overseeing uh, DOT finances pretty soon. So that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, maybe more, more entertainment covering those. Uh, you know, Jerry Tillman known for uh, singing uh, country songs in the middle of sessions. So maybe there'll be more country music at the Board of Transportation meetings. I don't know if there's points of personal privilege at the end of those meetings or not. So. <laughs> there's so many good country songs about 18 wheelers and being on the road. I mean, oh, it, yeah. it's a How come it's only trucking though? Well, trains. I guess trains are more of a bluegrass thing and country songs are <laughs> Are there country songs about airplanes? I don't think so. About light, light rail. 
<laughs> I don't think there's any light real country songs there. There's an opportunity, uh, former Senator Tillman. You can uh, you can write one, and you and Woodard knows about light rail. It's the failed Durham light rail. You guys can uh, can perform that sometime. All right, so we uh, we're recording on a different format this week's podcast. So you can uh, tell us what you think about it's. Uh, we're still doing it digitally at the at the time, um, but let this be more conversational. So you guys can uh, tell us what you think about that. Um, all uh, hopefully helpful advice, um, but I'm sure you'll find some criticism too. So, all right. So for um, I'm Don Vaughn for Julian Chenbero, Colin Campbell, and Will Doran. Uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.